0: I'm going to be a little bit unseasonal at this point, but it may be appropriate in many ways because I'm sure that you are already thinking about holidays, and um, I'm going to get you to think of uh, one of those things which some of you may be familiar with, I'm sure not all of you, uh, but I'm sure some here have been down some of those uh, slides in water parks. and. If that is familiar to you, you will know that there is no way to exit one of those things gracefully. Um, As you're sort of entering into the deep-ish water at the end of one of those flumes, either because you're simply sliding down on your backside or whether it is that you're in in a ring or whatever it is, but you sort of emerge from that thrust into the deep water, like a mighty walrus. And as you're flapping about in the water, trying to com- regain some degree of composure and dignity, because you are aware that there are people at the edge who've already been there, and they're now looking at you coming down, and they're pointing out to their mates and saying, look at the idiot over there. But what you're really trying to do, I think, in those moments, is to find which way is up, so that you can put your feet down. And as you put your feet down, you are sort of finding yourself again so that you are able to stand up with a degree of certainty that you're going to be safe. My prayer just now as we look at this psalm, and hopefully you've got Psalm 18 open in front of you, is that even in the midst of those situations and that sensation of swirling around, that you might find if that's your life and that's your moments right now, that you will find that you're able, through the the words that are in this psalm, to be able to find your feet and to be able to stand up again because we do feel out of our depths so often. So if we are experiencing things like anxiety and depression or guilt or whatever it is, that we might find the Lord ministering to us, that the Lord would speak to us. And that we will find our feet today as we we read through this psalm. The depth of the emotion that David, as he writes this psalm, I think is very clear. If you were reading, and read with me in verses 4 and 5 today, where David talks here about the cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave coiled around me, the snares of death confronted me. You you see that this is serious, this is is intense, this is deeply felt uh, in, in David's life. And the first day of a brand new year may be an occasion for all of us, I think, at times, where we have time to reflect where we are with God, and indeed where we might want to go with God, or, dare I say it even more significantly, where God might want to go with you this year, where God might want to direct and push you in the year that is ahead. I've already mentioned today that over the next two to three months, we're going to be working our way through this new series, which is following the motto or the theme that our present moderator has chosen for his year, which is Grace Works, and, is, and carries this idea that the, that the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is working in us. And as God, by his Spirit, is working in us, he is giving a shape and a character and a form to our Christian experience. And that that should be such that other people who may not even know Jesus, people we, we live with, people we work with, people we, we share life with, they should be able to look at us and should be able to sense that God is at work in our lives because this gospel of God actually works and that God is doing something in our lives. So today we're really just beginning this series, this is something by way of introduction, and it's just thinking about the priority of God that's in our lives. I've already, at the beginning of the sermon, just thinking about the, the stresses and the strains that we may experience in life, going back to that, When you're looking at verse 5 and the reference in that word talks about grave, literally in the Old Testament Hebrew language, the word that's used there is the word sheol, which talks about hell or it's the afterlife. So when David is talking about here, he is saying that he is so overwhelmed by his experiences of life that he feels he is being dragged down to hell itself. And so that may be something that you can resonate with to a degree or at least you have been able to resonate with perhaps at some point in your life. But what I also want you to focus on is something that is central in David's own experience of doing that. And that's in verse two, because this really sets the the tenor of the whole psalm where he is expressing his confidence in God. And he says, if you read it with me, verse two, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. As I was reading this psalm in readiness for today, I was struck by the fact that it seems so incredibly familiar to me, actually more familiar to me than just a, a casual reading of it. And then I found out that the reason it seemed fami- overly familiar to me is because just a short while ago in my own Bible reading, I had been working my way through the book of Second Samuel. And the end of 2 Samuel has David, King David's last words, and he's recapping a bit of his life. And what he does in Second Samuel is actually repeat this psalm that he wrote, almost word for word. That's the last chapter of 2 Samuel. But in the 2 Samuel version, he also lists the names of what he terms his mighty men of valor, his best soldiers. These were the men that David is saying, these were the guys who always stuck with me. They were always there for me. And in that account in 2 Samuel, he's saying that without these men, I wouldn't be here today. That's the significance of who these guys are. But even though he does that in 2 Samuel, there's also another note that he doesn't overlook. And it's the note and the tenor that this psalm here only describes. And it's the fact is, never mind the mighty men of valor, the most significant one in David's life is God himself because it is God who has delivered him. It is God who has rescued him. So that when he says things like in verse 17, he, he, God, he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. It's not simply his soldiers, his mighty men of valor. It's God who has delivered him. And if you look at verses one through three, look how often the word my occurs when he's talking about God. He has got this sense is that God is my, my refuge, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock, my shield. So the, the lesson of all of this and what, you're, what David is trying to get across is that this psalm is not about the great things that he was able to do himself, but this psalm is about the great things that God has done in his life. So God is his rock the one on whom we stand, the one on whom we find our security. And if we're thinking today, well, if God is my rock and he's the priority for my life, he sets the form and the shape for my life, what does that actually mean? Conveniently, the psalm splits into two. So I'm only going to have two points today. The first inference, I think, from that is that God is the one who is able to save you. God is the one who can save you. Now, the first half of the psalm, this is really verses seven through to verse 15. And as you cast your eye over those words, I hope at least those words again are very familiar or the imagery here is very familiar to you because this is the stuff that we have been reading in the months from what? October through to Christmas, all the stuff of the Exodus and of how that was so determinative in setting out the experience of the people of Israel and how God saved them. What God did in the Exodus set the tone for everything. God is the Savior. For example, look at verse 7. It says, the earth trembled and quaked, the foundations of the mountain shook. Remember that moment in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel came to Mount Sinai, they were getting the Ten Commandments, Moses was up the mountain, and it says the smoke was billowing, the earth was trembling. That's what David is thinking about here. Or look over to verse 15. Verse 15, it says the valleys of the sea were exposed, the foundations of the earth laid bare. That's the moment when the nation of Israel came to the Red Sea and they were being chased by Pharaoh and its chariots and God opened the Red Sea. You were able to see the ground and they were able to walk through so many pictures here of how God delivered the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. And that was so significant in those moments that that set the tone for how the people of Israel always understood what God does but what I want you to really pick up on today is simply something that's so obvious and I hope you would all immediately know it but you've got to know that David wasn't there it's obvious isn't it David wasn't at the Red Sea David wasn't at Mount Sinai. He didn't see the smoke. He didn't feel the earth trembling. He lived a long time after the events of the book of Exodus. But he says, those events were so significant for my people and indeed for me that they still set the tone for my life. So that when David then goes to verse 17, he rescued me from my powerful enemy. Or down to verse 19, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me. David is saying is that I understand all the things that God has been doing in my life by rescuing me, by thinking back to the book of Exodus. Exodus. And when I think back to the book of Exodus and I think what God did and how God delivered the people and he brought them to the Red Sea and he brought them by his hand and he took them safely across, David is saying those things were so significant that they still help me today. And when I'm in difficulty and when I need help, it's as if I'm saying to God, look, you did it in the book of Exodus and God, I want you to do that again. I want you to do that today. And it's exactly the same for us. We were never at the Red Sea. We weren't there in the book of Exodus. But like David, we look back to what God has done in the past. And I would say it's even better for us because we don't simply look back to the Red Sea and we don't look back to the Exodus, but we look back to the thing that the Exodus was pointing forward to And that was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the ultimate deliverance. We look to what Jesus has done on the cross because he is the savior. He is the one that everything was always pointing to. So this psalm is actually all about Jesus. So thinking about Jesus now, I want you to read again verses four and five. And as we read these couple of verses, to think about the experience of Jesus, because Jesus takes these words to himself. And you can see how Jesus could describe verse 4, the cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave coiled around me, the snares of death confronted me. That was Jesus' experience on the cross when he died for us. And Jesus says, that was me. That was how I felt about that. And ultimately, his deliverance, verse 19, it says, God brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And God here through these verses is showing the case of what Jesus has done even in the resurrection itself is that this deliverance is mine. So as David was doing in his weaknesses, when life is hard, he goes back to those things that God has done. And he says, Lord, if you did it then, I want you to do it again in my life. See, if you're not a Christian today, you may feel helpless in life and that all the things, the situations, the experiences of life, and that you are just bobbing about on the ocean like a a, like a random piece of polystyrene just being blown hither and thither, and everything is against you and you have no control over any of that. And the reality is is that when you sense that there is nothing that you can do about that, what you need to remind yourself of is that you need the salvation and the deliverance that Jesus Christ alone can offer you. You can't do this yourself. You may feel the weight of the imperfection of your own life. The Bible, of course, would describe that as sin. That's the stain that's on your life that separates you from God. There is nothing that you can do about that yourself. And again, that is pointing you to what Jesus has done because Jesus has paid for that. And he's paid to wipe that clean because this salvation is something that you couldn't achieve for yourself yourself, but you need Jesus. And if you are a Christian today, you too, I think, at times will feel overwhelmed by life. You may not know how you're going to get over the next obstacle that is in front of you. And in those moments, you too need to do what David does in this psalm, which is to look back Look back to these historical events where God presents himself amongst his people and God did these miraculous things and God delivered his people. And you're saying to God, I need to experience that deliverance again. And this is what David was doing. He realized that God was always the one who was doing that and that God was always there and that there was nothing haphazard, there was nothing lucky that happened to him, there was nothing by chance that happened to him. So David, even when he is thinking about his own experience, and there were times when King Saul was chasing David and King Saul thrust a spear in David's direction and David dodged that spear and David reminds himself, actually, that wasn't just a lucky move. God was there and God was looking after me. Or when David picked up a couple of stones and he went to confront a giant and he threw those stones and he toppled the giant. Again, that wasn't, a, wasn't simply a lucky swipe. But that was God with David in those moments because God was there all the time. Those little moments may not be as dramatic, David says, as Mount Sinai. There was no smoke billowing. The earth wasn't trembling. But he says, God was still as active. God was still as present as he ever was. And I think this is God's word for you also. And that's how we are to read our lives as well. That God is present and that God is the one who is able to deliver you. And that God is working in your life. So that when someone shows up at your door, when you are at your wit's end, and it seems like an incredible coincidence that that person was there at that point, that's not lucky. That's not happenstance. That's God at work. When you receive a text from someone, a Bible verse, and someone just says, I was thinking of you and sent you this. That's not coincidence. That is God by his Holy Spirit working to encourage and to help you. And that's what this psalm, or at least the first half of this psalm is really getting at, that God is at work and God is the one who is able to save you. And you need to recognize that and that God is doing that for you. You'd be thankful that the second half is a lot shorter. The second half of this psalm, is as well as saying that God is the one who is able to save you, is that actually God is the one who is at work in you to equip you to be able to serve him and to serve others. So God is at work in you for a purpose. And I think that's a good thing to remember at this time of year. So the second half of this psalm, what David is actually doing here is that he is describing how God enabled him to live and to rule as a king. How God was the one who helped him to do that. For example, if you read verse 32, he says, It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. Reading on, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. Verse 37, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were destroyed. Verse 39, you armed me with strength for battle. And you've got this sense that God is at work in David's life to enable him to rule effectively and to do the things that God wants him to do. And with that knowledge, isn't it even more significant when you remember the difference between how David was chosen to be king and how his predecessor, King Saul, was chosen to be king. Remember with Saul, how did the people choose Saul? Well, Saul was impressive. Saul was described as being a head taller than anybody else, and if the people were thinking of someone who was going to be a great king, he was bound to be the man because he had all the gifts. But when it came to David being chosen to be king, Samuel goes to his father's house, Jesse's house, and he starts searching for the king or the one who is to be the king. And David is described as being the youngest, which is literally the littlest. And what David time and time again gets across in his life is it's not that I was any good, It's not that I had any particular gifts. It's not that I was impressive, but it's that God was working in me to do what God wanted me to do because God looks on the outward appearance or God looks on the inward, not the outward. But as I've suggested, this Psalm, it's not really about David and it's certainly not only about you, it's about Jesus. And the final hint of that is in verse 50, the last verse of this psalm, where it's talking about that final descendant of David, the one who would be the ultimate king, the one who would bring the final victory, the great victory. Verse 50 where it says that God, he gives his great victories. He shows his unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. Because Jesus is the true descendant of David. But the most mind-blowing thing of all of this, when you actually take time to think about it, Is that this Christ, this Jesus? The Bible teaches that Christ is in you. Do you let that sink in? Jesus is in you. This mighty God who can do anything, who can deliver. can save the Bible says this Christ is in you and that this Christ is working in you to achieve his purposes he is enabling you to serve him as and how and when he is choosing you to do that so as David was reflecting here it's not that I am any good It's not that I have any wonderful gifts. It's the fact that God has chosen to work in me. So just allow the significance of that to dwell upon your own heart, because if you are a Christian today, and it's been great even to hear recently a couple of stories of people who have come to faith for the very first time and experiencing the joy of what it means to be a Christian. But if you are a Christian today, God has set his seal upon your heart and he is working in you and he is working in you with a purpose. So that means that after the holidays are over and you're heading back to work if you've had a break over this period, and maybe you're dreading some aspects of that. Maybe there's some relational issues that you have to step into again. There's some awkward people you have to meet and you are just dreading having to do and go into those moments again. You need to hear today that the Lord God Christ himself is equipping you to live for him where you are. And if you are doubting that, then look at verse 32, because this is God's word to you. It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. So if you're wondering, have you got what it takes to cope? Will you be able to endure whatever it is that is in store for you? Well, then know what the scriptures are telling you today that God is not simply the one who saves you, but he is the one who fills you and enables you to serve him where he has placed you. So as I began this sermon this morning, it's a plea. Stop flapping about in the water and simply put your feet down and find the solid ground beneath you. Look back to verse 2. May these words encourage you, that the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold.